We are on the last chapter in the Psalms on these Psalms of Ascent. And for those of you that have been with us, it's been an emotional journey, right? These are, uh, the Psalms are songs. They're songs of ascent or they're poems. So there's something really emotional and artistic about this type of scripture as we've walked through it. And I think what we found from Psalm 120 now to Psalm 134, which we're going to read this morning, is that there's something gut real about these particular psalms, is there not? I mean, we, we uh, started out with the psalmist who's like, look, this stinks. Like, I, I'm for peace, and everywhere I go, people are for war. Like, I, I, you've, you've seen the psalmist at their depths, just, I, I'm in trouble, God. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. We've walked through this emotional journey where we now understand that the people of Israel would sing these songs as they traveled, as they came from all of their tribes and all of their areas of that particular region, and they would travel together as pilgrims to the city of God, to Jerusalem, to worship for these three festivals. We would see they would sing through these songs. They would, they would read them, they would sing them together. And now we're at the end. You made it. Psalm 134. Um, let's read Psalm 134 together as a benediction. It's really like the closing proclamation. It's the benediction. It's the end of the songs of ascent. So Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the throne of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. It's the word of the Lord, amen? The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Amen? Three short verses. And I think our temptation would be to look at these three verses and think, okay, it's like goodbye. It's, it's kind of trite. But just because it's only three verses, the depth of what's being said here is is deep. It's not shallow. And those of you who think just because it's three verses, this is going to be a short sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you may be right. <clears throat> we'll see. I was at the fair, uh, unfortunately. Just kidding. <clears throat> Nate and I, my nine-year-old, were walking around the fair together, just the two of us. And, uh, you know, in terms of, like, eating through the fair or people watching, it's phenomenal, right? Other than that, I'm not really all that interested. But, but the two of us were hanging out, and we were walking through the fair, and I kept running into people that I knew. And so we would have these quick little interactions, these greetings and these goodbyes. And so Nate's just kind of walking around with me, you know, asking me to buy him cotton candy or to play a game or to do something, right? And as we're walking to a place where he's trying to get to, I keep running into people, and in uh, and, and what do we do? Like, the guys kind of do this, uh, like, I don't know, bro hug or whatever. It's kind of like the clap hands, pull it in, like the one, the one kind of pat, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, you know? And then, and then every time I would leave, we'd kind of do that again, you know, give a little pat, hey, it was good to see you, take it easy. I kept saying, take it easy, take it. I didn't realize I was saying it. Um, that's kind of the guy's interaction. Females, sometimes it's like a, I don't know, oh my God, 
right? That's, that's usually the... <laughs> and I don't think it's a worship thing. It's just like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. Um, so we're doing this over and over again throughout the fair. And at one point, it was probably like the third or fourth person that in Nathan's mind was a distraction to me getting him cotton candy. And uh, he, he looked up at me. He's like, Dad, you realize that every time you leave somebody, you say, take it easy. And I'm like, huh, I didn't realize that. He's like, I bet you the next person we run into, you're going to say, take it easy. That's what he said. I bet you every time. The next person you run into, you're going to say, take it easy. I had never thought about it. I, I didn't even realize I said it. So I'm in my mind. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to come up with something different. I'm going to say something different the next time I run into somebody. I'm not going to tell them, take it easy. So I run into someone else. This person happened to be a politician. And, and like we shook hands, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Know and I had forgotten about the bet that me and Nathan had. And as he walked away, I could hear myself saying, all right, man, take it easy. And I walked away, and I'm like, crap. <laughs> and he smiled. And as we're walking, I'm holding his hand, and I see this little smile come across his face. He's looking at me. He's like, you said take it easy again, didn't you? <laughs> and I thought about it. It was really so trite. Our, our parting words, I don't even know why I say it. It really wasn't anything all that meaningful. Um, I think it just, I, where did I even get it from? Take it easy. And what am I actually communicating, right? I'm communicating like, I don't know, I want you for the rest of your day to really do nothing. You know, like, <laughs> I'm hoping, my hope for you is we part ways is that you go home, sit on the couch and watch some Netflix, right? That's kind of what take it easy means, right? And, you know, in particular with the politician, what I should have said is, hey, will you go do some work, right? That's probably should have been my parting words. I don't, <laughs> but I don't often think of it. And I was reading this psalm, preparing this psalm, and this is really in essence a benediction. And what we see in this psalm is we see two different people talking to each other. We see the pilgrims, those who have journeyed to worship together, looking to the Levites, to those who who are um, in worship in the night, those who stand by night in the house of the Lord. It's the pilgrims speaking to the Levites, to the priests, to those who are uh, controlling the worship, leading the worship. And then it's a response in verse 3. We see a benediction, a proclamation from the Levites back to the pilgrims in verse 3. And what do they say to each other? There's actually some meaning to it. They've actually thought it through. There's some depth to what they're saying, this proclamation, this benediction, these parting words, as the pilgrims have been at church really for a week, and they're about to go back home to their villages, to their homes, to the places where we have seen, as they've cried out throughout the Psalms of Ascent, that there is difficulty, there's great distress. Some of them, I'm for peace, and everybody around me is for war in, in Psalm 120. We see that the pilgrims have been worshiping, they're parting ways, and they're about to go back to where they live, and there's this proclamation, there's these parting words. And the pilgrims look to the Levites, and they say to the priests, they say, Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And we see the response back to the pilgrim from the Levites. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. What a great proclamation. What an interesting parting words uh, thing to say to somebody as you leave their presence. 
And I had to think about it because the Psalms, they talk a lot about blessing, don't they? I mean, you start out in Psalm 1 that said, blessed is the man who. Throughout the Psalms, we see this idea of blessing. We see this idea of, of what it means to be blessed and what it means to worship and bless the Lord. And what we see is the pilgrims part ways with the Levites. They look to them and they say, bless the Lord. You who work at night in the house of the Lord, lift your hands. Bless the Lord in his house. What an incredible statement to make. It's an encouragement. What we see here is as they leave each other's presence, there's this encouragement to continue to be focused on the worship of God even as they leave church or even as they leave the place where they corporately worship together, there's this encouragement for them to bless the Lord and worship God as the focus of their life. Has that not been the message of the Psalms as we've looked at it over the last 15 weeks? Bless the Lord. Focus. Come. Bless the Lord. Lift your hands. Worship God. What does this mean? I mean, I think as we contextualize this, as we think, okay, what does this mean to me in 2017 as I sit in North Syracuse, New York, in this church, what does this even mean to me? And it's so profound, it's so simple, but it's so profound. I think you have to really scramble back to just the foundations of your life. You have to scramble back to the things that are the cement building blocks by which you make decisions, by which you build your life and begin to think about how do you view your life and how do you view what you do every day? Because what we're seeing here is we're seeing a group of people that have come together and that have said, when we part ways, here's my encouragement to you. Focus in your life on the worship of God with your life. That's pretty profound. What do I think about every day? What is the focus of my life every day? We live in a culture that has a very, very different worldview than what the Word of God has revealed to us. I hear it all the time. And it's so interesting because this has revealed to us how we are to think about these things. Yet in our worldview, the way we think of our life and the focus of our life and what we worship tends to be completely different, does it not? I mean, I, I know I've said this before, but I, if those of you who have kids... Watch Disney Channel for like 10 seconds. And it's like, you know, the, the advice that every 13-year-old Disney Channel star gives to your kids is just whatever makes you happy. Just be true to yourself, however you feel. Just, just don't, let anyone, don't let anyone tell you anything about who you really are. You just be true to who you are and that'll make you happier. Is that not the Disney Channel catechism? Is that not the, the, the message of our society, and here we see something completely different. Bless the Lord. Worship the Lord with your life. Focus on blessing God, the one who created you, the one who made heaven and earth. And I think to myself, listen, let me just introspectively take a moment, and when I wake up in the morning, when I, what am I pursuing every day? Is it the worship of the God who made me, or am I pursuing just my own happiness, Right? I mean, I am most concerned about how I feel every day. Anybody else with me? I wake up and, and it's like I'm tired. 
I need something to eat. I need a cup of coffee, right? Um, and, and my pursuit in life is my comfort, my, my happiness, my joy, my desires. And, and what these parting words are between the pilgrims and the priests in the midst of this benediction are, listen, focus on blessing the Lord. Bless the Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Focus on not just your words and your songs that we sing here in service in worshiping God, but focus on as you leave, as you go back to where you're from, worshiping God with your life. What an incredible paradigm shift. Is it not? Total paradigm shift. Bless the Lord. It's a lifestyle of worship that the psalmist is articulating. It's a, it's a life of worship to God. And if you are here today, like I am, and I think to the foundation building blocks of my life, what do I believe? What is my worldview? My worldview is I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. That God created me. That, that sin had entered the world and separated us from the presence of God. That there has been a fall. And anyone who looks around sees the destruction and devastation of sin. Sees that there is something wrong with the world. That there is sickness. That there's evil. That there's death. In my particular vocation, um, it's very, very easy to see the evil of the world and to look around and think, what in the world is going on? And that God, who loved us, has reached down, incarnated himself in, in Jesus coming to earth to, to, to redeem us, to save us, to pay for sin, to bring justice. As we cry out for justice, as we see an equity and evil in the world, Jesus came and brought justice. But, but if, as, as Mike quoted the psalmist, if God counted our iniquities against us, who could stand? Nobody, but our God is forgiving. How does he do that? Jesus came and he bore the brunt. He bore the punishment of all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the wrongs that I have caused to other people that deserve justice upon me. Jesus came and he stood in my place and he took it so I don't have to. That's my worldview. That's what I believe, that, that God came all the way for me when I wasn't even looking for him, when I was incapable of even seeking him. Jesus came because he loved me, and he died for me, and he paid the price for my sin. So now, when I stand before God, God doesn't see every little stupid thing I've done wrong, all of my sin. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And now I have access to God, to worship him freely, to bless him. There's only one response. In view of that, there's only one response that my life, if I really believe that, could have. And that's a life that responds with worship. Right? That's why in our services, we, we spend so much time singing. You know, we sing sometimes old songs, right? Martin Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Dude can write a song, Right? And, and, and we, we spend time singing scripture, singing the word of God, because the more we know about who God is, and the more we know about what God has done for us, it produces in us what? Worship. Good theology produces doxology. As we dive into the word of God and just don't share, you know, it's really not about just taking a verse and applying it to, hey, how can I have a better life? No. Who is God and what has he said about who he is and what he's done for us? As we dive into the depths of that, 
what it does is it produces a natural response within the life of, in this passage, the pilgrim, or within the life of the believer, and that is the only response to who God is and what he's done for me is worship. And I'm not just talking about worship as you sing here, although that's important, or worship as you get into the word here, but worship with your life as you walk out of this place and go back to your homes, as the pilgrims were doing in Psalm 134. Do you worship God in the way that you treat your wife or your husband? Is your life like a song of worship to the God who created you and saved you and forgave you in the way that you serve people at work or in the way that you deal with people who offend you? Is your life worship to God in your business dealings or in the way you raise your kids or in the way you treat your son or your daughter? Is the focus of your life every day to bring glory and honor and worship to God or is the focus of your life you and what is temporally going to make you happy? That's a big question for all of us. Amen? See, the Levites respond in this passage as they say to the Levites, bless the Lord. Lift your hands. You see some people here in the worship service lift their hands. And I know for some people who aren't used to church, you're like, what are they doing? But you see it in Psalm 28. You see it in Psalm 63. You see it in 1 Timothy. This idea of lifting your hands. And it's It's what it is, is we worship and sing scripture. Sometimes the response, the physical response of worship is is an honoring to God. You would see the Levites would direct worship by lifting their hands. There's an idea of dependence. There's an idea of surrender, is there not? I was at my brother's house for his birthday party yesterday. And for the first time, his youngest daughter, who's one years old, her name is Piper, she's beautiful. But she loves her mom, and she loves her dad. And luckily for me, she was confused. And she was running from somebody else, and she looked at me, and I looked like a chubbier version of my brother, right? So she turned around, and she went, whoo, and she lifted her hands towards me. And I was like, yes, you know? And I picked her up, and I hugged her, and I had this amazing moment. And then she looked at me and was like, no, you're not my dad. And I was like, okay, but I had a moment where I saw her, Reach her hands towards me like, Dad, help. This, this person wants to hug me again, and I need to go to you, right? <clears throat> but it was this act of, of surrender, this act of dependence, this act of need. So the Levites, or the pilgrims say to the Levites, lift your hands to the Lord. Just in reliance on a God who loves you, who's sovereign, who saved you, who's in control of your life. That should be the posture of our life, is this idea of surrender and dependence to the God who's in control. You may not understand what's going on in your life today. It may subjectively seem out of control and like you can't get a handle on it. You can't fix it. You can't... And what what the Word of God says to you is, bless the Lord, just turn and lift your hands to the God who loves you like your dad, who's in control and who's sovereignly caring for your life. Rely on him. Worship him with your life. Amen?
the response back, I love. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. What an incredible reminder of where our source of blessing comes from. Amen? Where I, I have confessed to you this morning that there's something within inside of me that pursues my own happiness, that pursues my own blessing, that pursues my own desires. And God somehow has made in us this, this need or this desire to feel better, to be blessed, to, to be happy. And in our desire for that, how often do we look to absolute counterfeits to fulfill our own desires that just leave us empty? Isn't that true? And the Levites remind the pilgrims, they say, may the Lord bless you from Zion, the source of blessing, the source of true happiness, the source of that joy that's just deep down inside of you that goes beyond your ability to understand, that's there regardless of circumstances, that's there regardless of things that are emotional and subjective, the source of joy and blessing in your life truly comes from the God, not just a God, the God who made heaven and earth. Amen? What do I do every day? I, I, my pursuit, uh, can I just say this? In America today, 2017, you and I live in a culture that is absolutely inundated, overwhelmed, and, and chock full of temporal satisfaction at our fingertips at any moment, anytime we want it, right? I mean, these are pilgrims who we see through the Psalms are crying out with great need. Some of us go through things where we have great need and we're reminded to cry out to God, but we live in a culture completely distracted. Do we not? You could live your entire life in America completely distracted from your real source of joy and need because you can fill it with as much food as you want, as much entertainment as you want, Netflix, Facebook, social media, every kind of restaurant. I want Italian food today. I want Chinese food today. I want Thai food today. I want some deep fried stuff today. And, and we could walk around distracting ourselves. I think I'll sit for two hours and just get that like endorphin high to see if anyone likes my photos on Facebook. Look at that, I got 15. Look at that, I got 30. Look at that, 50 people like the photo I posted. And it's, we are like heroin addicts. You ever see a heroin addict before? Every day driven by the need for opium in their system as the rest of their life completely falls apart, as they lose everything, job, family, loved ones, none of it matters because I'm going to get the next fix of heroin. And people from the outside look in and go, oh my goodness, how could you do this? How could you let your whole life fall apart just for a drug? And we live in a society, myself included, full of people who are completely addicted to the temporal satisfactions of an opulent society that has more than they could ever use. And we could live an entire life completely distracted from the source of real joy and real happiness, which is the worship and blessing of God. Walk around life forever and never think about it. And there's a reminder here from Scripture. The source of joy and blessing is from the Lord. The proclamation 
the benediction on the people from the priests is, may the Lord bless you from Zion. The maker of heaven and earth. We're talking about the God who made everything and who made you and who loves you. He wants to bless you. The worship of him, your blessing of him with your life and his blessing of you is where the true source of your joy is going to come from. And it's what you get to spend eternity doing someday. Isn't that good news? Psalm 1 says it like this, which is really the thesis statement of the whole Psalms. If you want to be happy, the blessed man, he's like a tree whose roots dig way down deep into this river, which is the source of living water. So regardless of how scorching hot it is, how windy it is, hurricane winds, scorching heat, blistering winter on the outside, those leaves may wither, the tree may get battered, but down underneath this tree is a source of life, like an evergreen tree, its leaf never withers. It prospers because it's joy. Blessed, blessed is the man whose roots are down deep into the living water, the word of God. That's what Psalm 1 pictures for us as a thesis for the Psalms. And we see in Psalm 134, may the Lord bless you. This benediction, this proclamation, may the Lord bless you. It answers the age-old question that everybody asks. Where does real joy and real happiness come from? It comes from this, recognizing there's a God who made heaven and earth, and there's a God who's called you to worship him with his life, and who, with your life, and who wants to bless you. Amen? Bless the Lord, lift your hands, focus on worshiping him. And I think the order here is important. The order is important. You come to God worshiping him with your life. He pours out blessing to you. Think about that. You see, the quickest way to not be happy is to pursue what? Happiness. The word of God never says, blessed is the man who seeks after blessedness. This, this everyday pursuit of entertainment and happiness and, and, and what's going to make me feel good every day is the quickest way to be miserable. It's the quickest way to not find happiness, to not find blessing. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. God has designed us to worship him with our lives as we come to him giving worship, as we come to him as a worshiper, as one who gives worship. He pours out blessing upon us. As we seek him, he, he adds these things unto us. The, the, the blessed man is the man who pursues doing the right thing, who pursues the word of God, who pursues living water, who pursues a life that worships him. Amen? How many things in our life is that true about? When I pursue happiness uh, in regards to food, I know I talk about this a lot, For me, happiness in regards to food is like, I'm going to get some pasta, I'm going to eat some junk, right? 
and it feels really good going down. And then I feel and look like this afterwards, right? I see this dude that works with me every day who like goes to the Y every day at noon and gives me crap every time he goes to the Y and I'm going to lunch, right? And I feel like, oh, you stink. You're going to go to the Y and work out. I'm going to go have fun at lunch. But then I see him, and he just looks way better than I do, right? And there is a level of happiness that he enjoys that I don't. I walked to my office the other day past a big picture window, and I, I looked to the left as I was going to walk into our building, and I, and I immediately thought to myself, who's the fat guy? And, and I realized it was me, right? <clears throat> Listen. Sometimes the right thing, the, the way to live a life of worship to God, isn't always easy, right? It's not always the easy thing. God's called us to enjoy so many graces as we worship him with our lives. If I, as, I, as I worship God with my life, I live a faithful marriage life to my wife. As I, as I honor God with my life in response to what he's done for me, I'm faithful to my wife, which means I live a life of, of joy. I, I can't outgive God because he gives me the joy of a marriage where I enjoy this, my wife, in a way that, that if I were to pursue the counterfeits to that for my own temporal happiness, the counterfeit of this, this sex-crazed society that would just go after anything and do anything and, and look for some sort of freedom and just being able to go out and do whatever I want, what, that would produce in me not joy. It would produce a counterfeit garbage feeling in life. But as I worship God with my life and I honor my wife and our marriage and the way that God's designed us to live together, I experience a joy from God that I wouldn't have otherwise. Does that make sense? As I, got, as I honor and worship God in the way that I raise my children, I see what God's doing in the life of my children as, as he works in their lives and as we, as we sometimes discipline them or don't allow them to do things where, where everybody else would say, oh, our kids do that, our kids do this, and we don't allow them to do this. What I see is God do something in their hearts and I see a joy as I watch every day young people and teenagers get ripped off by what would be the temporal pleasures of this world and see their lives go to garbage, I see the joy of God's blessing in my family. Does that make sense? As I worship God with my life. As I worship God with my life in the midst of trouble and experience difficulty and, and, and in the sin of this world, awful things happen. You live long enough, you'll bleed, right? Things will happen. And I respond to God and say, you know, as we sung, I'm going to bless your name anyway. I recognize that you're in control. What I see is some, a, a grace and a character built into, that, into your life as you walk through difficulty and trial, continuing to worship God, that on the other end of it, you look back and think, wow, God's done something in my life that could not have happened otherwise. He brings good. Where it, it seems good could never happen. What is your primary source of blessing in your, <clears throat> in your life? What is the primary source of blessing in your life? 
this passage brings us back. Really to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Let all that is within me bless your holy name. This psalm brings us back to a focus that as you go, worship God with your life. And as you go, may the Lord bless you from Zion. The Lord who what? Made heaven and earth. He is the only source of true happiness, of real blessing, of real joy. The psalmist was alluding to something and pointing to the ultimate blessing from God, from Zion, and that's Jesus. The one who's come, forgiven us, made a way for us to really worship God because of his death and his resurrection. I hope this morning, I know it has for me, as I look at the word of God, I hope this morning that somehow God through his word has enabled each of you as he has me to recalibrate, refocus on what my life is supposed to be about. What I'm supposed to be doing and pursuing. It's very simple, isn't it? My life's pursuit should be the worship of the God who created me, who created heavens and earth. And allow him in reliance as I lift my hands to him to be in control and to look to him for all blessing and any grace in my life, recognize it comes from him. Any joy in my life, recognize it comes from him. May we be a people who leave this place and in response to the gospel, worship God with our lives. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for the focus that you've given us, that our life is about blessing you. Our life is about worshiping you, not just on Sunday, but between Sundays, with the way we treat each other, with the way we live, be glorified in our lives. Help us not to pursue shallow, trite, temporal satisfaction as the object of our day every day, but help us to pursue you, to enjoy the graces and the blessings that you've given us, yes, but to do that in our pursuit of you and in our life reaching towards you and blessing you is what you've called us to. Help us this week to focus on that. You're a good God. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's stand and worship.